Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. How's everybody doing this morning? You excited that you could breathe when you went outside this morning? That was good. Hey, don't take anything for granted these days, do we? Uh, yeah, today, today was a lot better. Yesterday we had the wiffle ball tournament planned and uh, I was on an adult team. I know I have some friends in here that were on that same team with me and I was ready to go. And I guess God didn't want us to embarrass ourselves, so we postponed it. Uh, but we're going to make that thing back up, uh, I think, on September 11th. And so if you want to be a part of that, you can join in too. Uh, one thing before we dive into uh, the probably whatever, part 12 of Mark, uh, I wanted to make a quick announcement. If you didn't already know, you probably do. On August 21st, uh, we do an event uh, every fall, and we do an event specifically for those that serve here at City Walk. We have people that host small groups in their home each week. We have people that lead those groups. We have people that serve. I mean, you see a lot of them out, uh, out and about as they're, you're coming in. We have a lot of people that are even now uh, pouring into your children and serving them. And so we do an event just for those people, uh, and that's on August 21st. And if you haven't signed up for that, uh, please go ahead and sign up. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, or you're watching online and thinking, you know what? I have been thinking about joining a team, and I just... Uh, haven't, well, this is a great time to do that. In fact, you can sign up to be at that event and kind of use this event to, to find out, hey, is there a place that I could serve? Is there a place that I would you know, kind of be interested in? And uh, it's going to be a fun day. We've got a lot of fun things planned. Uh, I will tell you this, if you come to the event, make sure you're up to date on your, uh, on your Jimmy Fallon games because there's going to be a few games from the Tonight Show that you'll have an opportunity to either participate in or laugh at other people while they participate. So uh, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, most of you guys know, and if you're watching online, you may know this as well, but I grew up in the state of Florida. And one of the things about the state of Florida that just is part of life is snakes. So snakes and alligators. I mean, people that have not been to Florida, they think that you're running from, I mean, they, they have this picture of Florida that you're actually like stepping over alligators to go to work and they're everywhere. And it's not quite like that, but, but there are alligators and there are, are snakes. And so, man, several times throughout my life, uh, we've run into snakes in our yard. I mean, just every single year you do. And most of the time you, you see those snakes and so you, you don't get caught off by surprise every now and then. You end up changing your shorts because you were surprised by a snake and, and you're a little bit afraid. But, but that's just kind of a normal thing. There's snakes in people's yards. Most of them are poisonous, uh, but, but they're, they're just there. And there was one, one day, and this is probably, I was probably about 15, 16 years old, that my mom and dad, it was family yard day. So the day that me and my two brothers probably tried to get out of and, and dreaded, it was the day where we were going to you know, mow up the lawn, we were going to uh, pull the weeds that probably hadn't been pulled in forever, we were going to trim the shrubs and kind of get our lawn back in order a little bit. And 
So we're out and we're scattered around the yard and we're all doing our little things. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, my mom starts screaming like a lion is chasing her right in our backyard. And so we, we all, you know, ran to see what was going on with mom. And mom is standing very far away from a shrub at this point, but she had been trimming shrubs and kind of going about her thing, and she did not realize that there was a snake in the shrub she was trimming. And so, I mean, she, you know, doing her thing, had no clue it was close to her, and actually put her hand on what she probably thought was a branch that moved and so to, this was probably 30 years ago. I don't know that my mom's ever touched a shrub in the last 30 years. And it's cost my dad a lot because now they have other people that do their shrubs in their yard for them. But, but my mom was really marked. And we, we laugh about it now. At that point, my mom would have rather been chased by a lion than actually put her hand on a snake. But, but that was a time that it really got my mom. It bothered her. She remembers it. It marked her because that snake was so close to her, and yet she totally didn't see it. And that's what caught her off, kind of caught her by surprise and scared her to death. And it's changed her life now. We've probably had some counseling because of it even. But, but to say the least, my mom was super surprised and, and it wasn't a good day for her. And for most of us, maybe hopefully it wasn't a snake in your bush, but probably every single one of us understand what it feels like to be so close to something, to not realize something, and then to, after the fact, realize that, man, I, I'm totally caught off guard because I didn't know what was so close to me. I, I didn't know that, man, in hindsight, I can see it really clearly, but as it was going on, man, I totally missed what was really close to me. And this happens a lot in the area of faith. Where people throughout their life, they're so close to faith, they're so close to what could be life-changing, but yet they, they, they walk by it. And, and sometimes when a crisis comes in their life, when there's a health crisis or somebody dies, man, sometimes those are the moments where people realize, okay, now I'm going to really focus on this. Or a lot of times, maybe at the end of their life, they realize that they've missed it, and so they, they grab hold of it. But, but there's a lot of people that go through their whole life and get to the end of their life and never realize how close they were to life change because of Jesus. And this isn't a new thing. In fact, in, as Jesus walked the earth about 2,000 years ago, this happened quite a bit. There, there were quite a few people, and Mark, Mark tells us about it, and we're going to look at one instance, that, that literally, in hindsight, they, they could look back now and think, man, we were an arm's length from God, and we didn't know it. We missed it. We, 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 we didn't catch what was so close to us until it was too late. And Mark tells us about an instance where, where this happens, and it's literally just a couple days before Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is it's probably like the Wednesday or Thursday before Jesus is about to be crucified on Friday. And, and Mark tells us in Mark chapter 12, he says this. He says, he began to speak to them in parables. 
So who was he speaking to? He was speaking to religious leaders. He was speaking to elders, to scribes, to to the chief priest. And and what he was going to do is he was going to tell them a story. And it was with this story, Jesus would do this a lot. He would use stories to teach truth. And so Jesus, he, he has the scribes and the elders, and they're close by to him, and, and he's, he's about to tell them a story, and in this story, he's going to show them how close they are, but yet how they're missing what's most important. It says this, as he begins to tell the story, it says, a man planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug out a pit for a wine press and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. As people are listening to this, this isn't like new information. This isn't catching them off guard because they were very familiar with vineyards. In fact, in their economy in Palestine, vineyards were a big part of their economy. And so what would happen was a foreign landowner would come and he would would kind of hire out what was called a tenant farmer. And he would... He would allow the tenant farmer to use the land he owned to grow a vineyard. And then when it was time for harvest, he would come back. And and as part of the payment for being able to use his land, they had to give him some of the proceeds of what the vineyard produced. And this this was normal. This was normal. I mean, this wasn't anything. They're like, oh, yeah, we've we've heard of this, Jesus. And so verse 2, it says it this way. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. So they're leaning in. Yeah, that's, that's what happens. At this point, this all makes sense. But here's what happens. Very quickly, these people that he's teaching begin to realize that Jesus is talking about a lot more than a vineyard and a farmer. In fact, what they're about to find out is that the landlord, the vineyard, and the farmer represent God's relationship with Israel, God's relationship with them. And the servants that that Jesus is talking about, the servants that that the landowner is going to send back to, to take the proceeds that the landowner deserves, those servants represent Old Testament prophets, and, and even more recently, John the Baptist. And so he's telling the stories, the vineyard and the landowner, and now it's the harvest time. And so the landowner, it's, hey, it's time to go get my proceeds, kind of collect my rent. And so he sends his servant to do that. And it says this in verse 3, but they took him, they beat him, they sent him away empty-handed. Okay, and, and so he First, first servant goes, and instead of giving him rent, they punch him in the face and send him home. So the landowner, verse 4, it says, again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, I mean, third time's a charm, and they killed this one. He also sent many others, some they beat, and others they killed. And as Jesus is telling this story, it's starting to sound familiar. Because all throughout Israel's history, he had sent prophets to Israel to call them back to a relationship with God, to tell them, hey, you're going the wrong way. Come back to a relationship with God. And the, the, the people of Israel that should have accepted their message and changed, they ended up rejecting the messages. They treated the prophets shamefully, and, and some of them they harmed and even killed. 
This is like the history of Israel. Instead of welcoming God's messenger, Israel had a history of rejecting the message and hurting and even killing the people that would come give the message. If, all you got to do is read the Old Testament. So Jesus is in this story, and so far, man, the, all the people that the landowner has sent back, all these servants, haven't had much luck. In fact, it's been pretty rough for them. Some of them have lost their lives. And so this landowner is, is pretty long-suffering, kind of must be a pretty patient guy because he has one more messenger. He has one more option, one more person that he's going to send to collect the rent, to, to go to this farm. And so he, he goes on and Jesus tells the story and it says this, he still had one to send, except for this one wasn't a servant. Jesus says this one is a beloved Son. And it says this, because this is what the, the farmer thought, or the landowner thought, man, they'll respect my son. Okay, I get it. They didn't like my messengers. They didn't like my servants. But man, my son, my own son, my beloved son, they'll treat him differently. They'll respect him. And it says this, but those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. So, so they didn't treat the son any better. In fact, they, they thought this was their opportunity to actually own the vineyard. It was going to be theirs if they could get rid of the heir. And so they didn't treat this guy good. It says they killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And as Jesus is telling this story, you can probably feel the tension in the air. Jesus is telling this story, and there's people in the room or kind of where, where he's at, and they're starting to get that maybe Jesus isn't talking about a vineyard and a landowner and some servants. Maybe he's actually talking about us. Maybe he's talking about us, the religious leaders who, who are doing our, our very best to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus. Maybe he's talking about us, the nation of Israel, who have rejected all God's messengers and have treated them shamefully and even killed them. Maybe he's talking about us. And so, man, you, you can see, and if, if you were in the room and you weren't one of the religious leaders, you, you, you can kind of start to probably notice like oh this is getting awkward I mean you, you've had that happen to you haven't you where you're in a room with some people or you're in a situation and you're not the one that said anything but but some other people are talking and you can tell like man this conversation just went from normal to it's getting a little awkward in the room I remember my, my daughter Julia uh, and there were several things when she was a little girl that there was awkwardness in the room by things she said. But I remember there was this one thing that stands out to me. We were in our church office, and I, this was I, the church we went to. We didn't, I didn't work at the church, and, and Julia was probably three or four years old. And she was as cute as can be, and you know, just very, even today, she's very personable, loves to talk to people. And so that's the way she was. So we happened to be in the secretary's office. And the secretary was in there, and there was one of the pastors of the church, and there was Julia and me, and, and I don't remember what we were there for, but Julia started saying something that I couldn't understand. She was saying something about crooked or teeth or something, and, and 
I, I, I didn't really understand what she was saying. I knew she was saying something about teeth, and it was one of those things. I'm like, this is probably not good what she's saying, so how can I, as less awkwardly as possible, kind of get her out of the room? But the secretary understood exactly what Julia was saying and literally looked down to, at Julia while the pastor was there, and I'm standing there and said, Yes, Julia, we've had this conversation before. This is how God made me. My teeth are crooked. And I just remember being like, oh, so embarrassed. Because she just, oh, yeah. Like, how, how many times has my daughter said your teeth were crooked when I wasn't there? And it just got so awkward, Julia. Other times, there were, there were times where at the, probably by the time she was about three years old, like we told her when we would go into a restaurant, you are not allowed to talk to the waitress no matter what. Because she would, on a regular basis, if the waitress was a little more plump than Julia thought was, you know, should be, she would say, is there a baby in your tummy? And uh, several awkward times. So, so you, and you've had those. You've had those, especially if you have grandkids, kids, or you've been at work. And, and, and it's just... The conversation is, is maybe it's normal and it's going well, but then somebody says something or something comes up from the past and it just gets awkward really fast. And that's what's happening here. These people are leaning in, story time with Jesus. And then Jesus goes from, hey, let's talk about a farm and vineyard to like straight to the heart. And they realize what he's talking about. And so it gets very uncomfortable. And in the midst of this uncomfortable moment, when the religious leaders know Jesus is talking about them, he asks an obvious question and he gives the obvious answer. Jesus asks this question. So I've just told you the story. The farmers have just killed the son. So here's the obvious question. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? So if, if, you know, he's the owner of the vineyard has sent servants and, and now he sent his son and you've killed him and you've, you've, you've never given him rent, what do you think he's going to do? And, it, and he, he answers his own question. He'll come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. And, and what Jesus is doing right here is he's, he's actually predicting what's about to happen. See, in about four decades, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And Jesus is pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem. But he's also pointing to something else that, that we should really lean into. And here's what he's pointing to. He's saying, you know what? That vineyard that was given, that, that special relationship with the Jews, with Israel that they have rejected... Well, Jesus is saying that, hey, after I die and I rise from the dead, that special relationship that the Jews have is going to be opened up to the world. It's no longer going to be just a relationship for the Jewish nation with God, but this relationship, this vineyard is going to be given to others. It's going to be given to Gentiles as well. And so Jesus, as he's telling this story, and these guys, they know exactly what Jesus is saying. He's predicting what's about to happen. And instead of kind of letting it ride and just going on to the next topic, Jesus, he continues to talk with them. He doesn't let them off the hook. And what he does is he illustrates exactly what he just said in another way. He goes from farming to now he goes into kind of a construction illustration. And he's, he's kind of just pushing the knife in a little bit more. He wants to make a point. And here's what he's saying. He says in verse 10, 
He says, haven't you read the scripture? Like you guys, you're the, you're the priest. You're the religious leaders. You, you guys should know this stuff. I shouldn't have to teach you this stuff. And he says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, in this, in this day and age, when you would build a building, they would put a cornerstone in first. I think we have a, a picture of, of what a cornerstone might look like in that day and age. They, they would put a cornerstone in first, and that cornerstone was the most important stone in that whole building. Because that stone, that cornerstone, it held the weight of the entire structure they, they put the weight of that entire structure on this cornerstone. And what, here's what Jesus is saying. This stone represents him. And the builders represent the religion. Close to you. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, he's saying, Jesus is saying that, that the one that's so close to you, the one that you as religious leaders, you've rejected. The one that, that is, man, he's, he's walked along right with you. He, you've had opportunities to follow him. You've heard his teaching, and now you actually want to kill him. That one is the foundation to everything God wants to do in the world, and you have missed it. The, the, the person that you're rejecting, the chief cornerstone, the one that is most important to what God wants to do from here on out, you've missed. You've rejected. It was so close, but because of your pride and because of your hunger for power, you've been blinded by all of that and you've missed it. It was right there and you've missed it. Mark goes on and he says, this came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes, this idea of Jesus being the cornerstone. And, and then it says this in verse 12, they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. The religious leaders, man, they are desperate. Like, like they they know what he was talking about. They know he was talking about them. They, they get all that. They, they, don't, they don't buy into his message. They don't want a relationship with him. They're not going to be his follower, but they understand what he's saying. They understand what the ramifications of what he's saying is. And so they are desperate. And so if you, if you read through the next few verses, they they, they so badly have to discredit Jesus. They so badly have to find a way, something they can accuse Jesus of so they can get rid of him. And so they, they do what they've done, like all through the book of Mark, they, they send some representatives to Jesus and they bring up controversial topics. They, they bring up topics that, that they know are going to hopefully rouse the crowd and that Jesus might mess up on. They're just trying to get him to say something wrong. They, they send somebody to talk to him about taxes. They're like, oh, that's a controversial subject. Let's, let's throw that out. Maybe he'll say something wrong against Rome, and that'll be all we'll need. And Jesus, he does what he always does. He asks them questions. He points them to truth that they're supposed to already know, and then he drops the mic, and they're frustrated again. And then they're like, okay, here's another one. Let's talk about marriage in the afterlife. There's some of these people don't believe in the afterlife. And, you know, marriage is always a controversial topic. So let's, let's ask him a question about that. Maybe he'll blow that question and we'll have a little something to accuse him of. But again, 
Jesus says, hey guys, don't you know the scriptures? Like you're, you're the guys that like spend your whole life reading the scriptures. Don't you know what the scriptures say? And he points them back to truth they should already know. And it's like, oh, come on. Have you, have, have you ever been in a like game? It's like family game night. Do you have the person at family game night that always wins? I mean, and you're looking at them right now. But, but, or maybe they're not here. Maybe you're like, they need to be in church because of their, their pride. But, but you have that person, they always win. And you just, you almost, I mean, to be honest, you've cheated a couple times trying to beat them, but you just can't beat them. And you're just like, I try and it doesn't matter. And I, I put the cards the way I think they should go in the deck. They still win and it's just frustrating. Well, this is, man, they've tried everything. They've tried everything. They've asked every controversial question. They've poked at Jesus in every way. And he just continues to amaze the crowds. Every time they think they get him, he he answers them in a way that makes them speechless. And more people are impressed with him and want to follow him. And so that's exactly what happened. And so Jesus, he's finished talking. And almost as if there was somebody maybe off to the side, a scribe. That wasn't trying to be a guy to get Jesus in trouble, but there was a a scribe that, from what we read, legitimately was kind of leaning in and was kind of like really wondering what Jesus was saying. And and so it's after this conversation and taxes and marriage in the afterlife and the vineyard and all this, the the, the religious leaders are like, all right, we're done. We, we, We haven't made any progress. But then this scribe comes up. And he asked Jesus a question, and you can tell by how Jesus treats him that this guy was probably legitimately leaning in and legitimately wondering. It says this, it says, one of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? So he, I mean, he kind of makes his way over to Jesus, and he's been watching this whole thing, and man, Jesus has done such a good job. And so he comes up, and he, he just says, hey, you know, Jesus, I, I got a, like a question I've been wondering. Like we have, as scribes and Pharisees, we have 613 laws. We have literally 613 commands. And, and they would kind of, in their day, they, they made it a practice to, to like argue they were like, hey, these are my two favorite. Almost like you have your favorite team. They had their favorite commands, and they would have debates of like which one's the most important. It was like a thing they did on Friday nights. It's like what they did for fun was debate which, which command was more important. So this guy comes up and says, Jesus, I mean, you know, we, we, we debate and all this stuff. Like, like, which one do you say is most important? And here's what Jesus said. The most important is, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes on and he says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then Jesus says, well, I'm going to give you a second one too that's just as important. Kind of goes together. He says the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. See, Jesus makes clear that genuine love for God leads to genuine love for people. 
And when we love God and in turn love people, kind of the rest takes care of itself. And you can, you can kind of throw the rule book out. When, when we, Jesus is saying, hey, when, when you take all these commands, you can kind of throw that rule book out. If, if people will focus on these two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then when you do that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, that's the most important You can throw the rule book out. See, the foundation of our life is not a list of rules, but a relationship. And honestly, for some of us, that makes makes us a little bit nervous. For some of you, that makes you real nervous to think, throw the rule book out. And then it frustrates some of you. And here's here, let me explain that. For some of you, it makes you a little bit nervous because you're you're thinking. So, so, Chris, are you saying, like, just let everybody do what they want? No, of course not. We, we put rules and boundaries in place because we don't all love God and love others the way Jesus is talking about. So we, we put boundaries, we put rules. But, but here's what's real important, and, and let me use as an example, like our teenagers, like our teenagers, when, when we, we raise our teenagers, we try to raise them to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex. We try to help them have pure relationships. We, we know the baggage that comes with a physical relationship. We know all that the Bible says about it. And so, man, we, we try to help our kids. We give them guidelines and rules to help them do the right thing in all those situations. And those are good things to do. But what a tragedy it would be if we harped so hard on the rules and the guidelines and we neglected the hearts of our kids and neglected teaching them to love God and love others. Because here's the the bottom line, and we all know this, and, and let's just use our teenagers. If they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their neighbor as themselves, purity will take care of itself. And you can fill in the blank. Like if if I love God and love others, I'm going to love my wife the way I should. I'm going to treat, I mean, you you just fill in the blank with any situation. And so we get nervous when we think, and so we're not saying throw all the rules out, but what we are saying is, man, if, if all we do is we're like Pharisees and we just rule, 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 and we never deal with the heart and we never teach people to love God and love others. Yeah, we might check all the boxes, but we'll never grab hold of what Jesus was talking about. For some, it, it makes us a little nervous, but for others, man, you're a little frustrated with that idea. And here's what I mean. Like, you're a rule follower. And so for you, you, you verbally embrace grace, but if you're honest, you give, you serve, you try to live a good life so that you can stay on God's good side. And, and you, yeah, you verbally embrace like grace and it's not about works, but, but your life says, no, I don't really believe in grace. I believe that I have to earn my relationship with God. So I give, I serve, I do because I want to stay on God's good side. See, we, when we do that, we are doing good for a relationship. We're doing exactly what the Pharisees did. They thought, if I can just keep all these rules, 
then God will be good with me. But if I start to slip up in some of these rules, you know what, then I'm going to, maybe God's not going to be as happy. And here's, here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying that when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself, and when you put your time and focus on that, here's what you'll find out quickly. And this is what Jesus was saying. Hey, I don't do good for a relationship with God. I do good from a relationship with God because I am loved, because I love. Think about your marriage. If you're married and if you're in a healthy marriage, you don't wake up in the morning and think, hey, what do I have to do today to make sure by the end of the day, my spouse loves me? All right, I got to do this. If I do that, I got to do that. If I miss this, they might not love me by the end of the day. No, 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 no. If you're in a healthy marriage, you love your spouse. You, you, you love them dearly. And yeah, you don't always agree, but man, you genuinely love them and you care for them. And so you don't wake up in the morning thinking, hey, what do I have to do? So by the end of the day, they love me. It's like, hey, because I love them, because we're in a relationship, man, I enjoy serving. I enjoy loving. I enjoy doing things for them because I love them, because they love me, not for that. And that's what Jesus was saying as he was saying, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And after answering this question, this scribe, he says this, he says, you're right. You're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and to do, to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. He says, you're, you're right, Jesus. And then I, I love this verse. Verse 34, it says this. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. They're, they're like, we're done. Here's what Jesus was saying. Hey, buddy, you haven't brought your political persuasion. You haven't brought your preferences. You haven't brought all that into the mix when you were looking at truth. You just looked at truth clearly and you didn't bring in any, any agendas when you looked at truth. You just looked like all these other religious leaders, they bring an agenda in when they're looking at truth and they skew truth their way to make it fit their life and their kind of way they like to do things. But you've just come and looked at truth for what it is. And because of that, you're not far from the kingdom. You're not far. You're close. You aren't missing it like all these other people are. See, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, and whether you're watching online or you're here, and we you know, have people in all different places, even here this morning, we've all at some point experienced regret because we've missed something. It might have been the, the, the shot in the game. Man, we, we missed that shot. No, oh, we lost the game because we were so close. It might be the job. Like we were the second candidate, man. We, we were so close to getting the job, but somebody else just kind of squeezed by and, and they were just a little better. And so we missed it. Maybe it was a test you were taking and you, you had to make a certain grade. And man, you were just a few percentage points off from passing. And you, you just barely missed it. We've all had times like that. And as tough as some of those situations are, 
Missing the mark in our relationship with God would be way worse. See, sadly, people back when Jesus walked the earth, sadly, people missed God. And they walked right next to him in the person of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, many still are doing the same thing, which leads to an obvious question. Here's the obvious question. Because just like people walked right by Jesus, saw all the miracles, heard all the teaching, and yet did not embrace him, they were so close. That happens to us. That happens to maybe some of you watching online. And so it leads us to a, a pretty obvious and personal question. And here's the question. Are you missing what's most important? Or not, not, not as your spouse, not as your family, but you personally. You're watching online. Are, are you missing? Am I missing what's most important? See, see, there's two ways we do that as it relates to faith. If we're we, we might be somebody, and the way we're missing it is we reject a relationship with God, and, and so we miss it. Like, like maybe we've heard about a relationship with God, and maybe we've, we've felt tugged to start a relationship with God, and we, we understand that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and, and we've heard all of that, and we've been maybe even very close, but we miss what's most important by kind of straight-arming that and rejecting a relationship with God. And so we go out into eternity without God. We live our life today without God. We miss the mark. We miss what's most important as far as what Jesus thought was most important because we reject a relationship with God. But then there's another group and it's probably the one that most of us fit in. And man, man, we've started a relationship with God. There's been a day in our life when we, we have followed Jesus. We have believed the gospel. But, but here's how we miss the mark. Here's how we miss what's most important. We get distracted in our relationship with God. We miss the blessing of the relationship. We get distracted. We focus on the wrong things. We allow sin. We allow fear. We allow trying to do, do, do for Jesus to, to, to make us miss the relationship, the blessings of the relationship. It's like if somebody were to give you two free tickets to Disneyland. Hey, here's your free tickets. And man, you're so excited. You're on your way to Disneyland. You get to Disneyland. You've got your two free tickets. You can see Disneyland and you just decide, you know, what? we're just going to stay in the car. Well, we got our, t our tickets and we're at Disneyland, but we'll just hang out in the car. Maybe roll down the windows if it's not too smoky, but we're just going to hang out here. And then in eight or 10 hours, when everybody else comes to their car, we'll, we'll get back, you know, we'll, we'll head out. It's like, that, that'd be ridiculous. Like, you're right there. You're, you're at Disneyland. Of course, you're there. You can see it, but you're, you're not enjoying it. You're not enjoying the blessings of those free tickets that you were given. And that's exactly what we do sometimes in our relationship with God. We miss it because we get distracted. We, we think, man, if I do, do, do for Jesus, that's what it takes. And we miss the intimacy, the hope, the joy the peace. And we just live an exhausted Christian life. Or we allow sin in. And it usually starts real small. Then before you know it, it's wrapped around our whole life. And we miss it. Yeah, we're going to be in heaven one day. 
We have a relationship with Jesus, but we don't enjoy that relationship. So without even thinking about it, and you know this, and here's what Jesus' point was. If you will focus on intimacy with me. So what does that look like? That looks like maybe this week just reading your Bible, not to check it off a list, but to know more about God. To read your Bible and, and to open your Bible and look into your, the God's Word and, and not do it because you can tell somebody else that you read your Bible, but do it so that you can enjoy and learn more about God. It looks like praying. It looks like talking to God. It looks like telling God, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. God, here's what I I need from you. Here's where I'm at. Really, God? And it's just having those conversations that he's saying, yes, bring that. I want that intimacy with you. And here's what happens. What happens when we begin to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, What automatically happens is we love others well. We become a better husband. We become a better dad. We become a better teacher. We become a better whatever when we do the right things and focus on the right things and not miss what's most important. And so as we close, here's here's what's going to happen one day. And I'll end with this. And I think about this a lot. And maybe you're like, oh, that's kind of morbid. But I think about two, two times a lot. And it helps me filter out what I allow in my life. It helps me filter out a lot of things. But the first time I think about it is just a few minutes before I go out into eternity. So I don't know how, that's all, how, how it's going to end for me. But at some point, maybe, I'll be in a bed and I'll hope, have all the people that love me the most around me. And I want in that moment... Not to have to apologize. I want in that moment not to have regrets. So I think about that. I don't want to miss it. But then I think about one other time, and it's one minute into eternity. When everything will become very clear, it will become very clear if you and I have missed what's most important. Just one minute into eternity. And so my encouragement to you, if you're watching online and if you're here this morning, is don't miss what's most important. Don't miss it. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus and just the honesty, the clarity as he talked to religious leaders and he Just talk to people that were so close to life change. They were so close to what was so special, but yet they rejected it. And Lord, I pray that that we would not get distracted by life. We would not get distracted by sin. We would not get distracted by doing for you and miss being with you. A relationship. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would say yes to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.